Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. Today's show features Dr. Jason Lyle, astrophysicist and director of physical sciences with the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Lyle. You know, a lot of people say today that, you know, astronomy disproves the Bible. But in fact, history shows us that the Bible is always right when it touches on any subject. As the Word of God, how could it not be right? Now, I'll grant that the Bible is not an astronomy textbook. In fact, astronomy textbooks change every few years. We have to update them as we astronomers find new information and we realize that some of the things we believed were wrong. But the Bible has never needed to be updated because God got it right the first time. And so when the Bible touches on astronomy, as when it touches on any subject, it's exactly right. And history confirms this. You see, there are many places where the Bible touches on astronomy that the secular experts of the day would have at the time disagreed, and they would have said, no, the Bible got it wrong there. And yet today, we would have to agree that the Bible got it exactly right. Let me give some examples of this. One concerns the roundness of the earth. Our planet is basically spherical or round, and that's something that the Bible teaches. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, we see this phrase, the circle of the earth, indicating the earth's roundness. The expression is even more provocative in Job 26.10, where it says that God inscribes a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. And that can't just be a, a sort of a flat circle. It has to be a sphere because it's only on a sphere that the boundary between light and darkness can be circular or round. You see, what that's referring to is Earth's, what they call the terminator. That's where light stops or terminates on the Earth. It's the boundary between evening and morning. And it is indeed always a circle because the earth is spherical, and it's on the waters because the earth's surface is mostly water. There's no doubt that the Bible is teaching that our planet is round. But the interesting thing is, that's not what the secular experts of the day taught. Isaiah was written 700s BC. Job was written around 2000 BC. At those times, most people believed the world was flat. In fact, the first person who is generally credited with coming up with the idea that the earth might be round is Pythagoras but he's 500s BC. Isaiah and Job are discussing the roundness of the earth long before Pythagoras. Aristotle is usually considered the first to prove that the world is round, but he's around 300s BC. And so there's no doubt that the Bible got it right before the secular scientists of the time. By the way, the idea that Christopher Columbus was the first to come up with the idea that the earth might be round is a myth. Educated people already knew the world was round at the time of Columbus. He just thought it would be faster to go the other way. But the Bible got it right first. The Bible teaches about the nature of earth in terms of it being suspended in space. In Job chapter 26, verse 7, it says that God hangs the earth upon nothing. What a wonderful description of the nature of gravity. It poetically describes the way the earth hangs in space. And of course, we have pictures of the earth today that confirm this. And yet, this verse might have been very difficult to believe when it was first written. After all, Job 2000 BC, 
And yet, the early Greek experts, around 800 to 900 BC, at that time, they were teaching that the earth was a flat disk and floated in water. And frankly, that was probably easier to believe at the time. I mean, we've seen things float in water, but have you ever seen anything hang upon nothing? Job 26.7 might have been tough to believe, and yet we now know it's exactly right. We have pictures that confirm it. The expansion of the universe. The Bible teaches that God stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in, in passages like Isaiah 40.22 and many others. Clearly, the universe is now bigger than when God first created it. He's expanded it. He's stretched it out. That might have been hard to believe when it was written because astronomers until very recent times believed that the universe was static and eternal, that it was unchanging. The idea that it could be expanding, well, that would have been scoffed at. And yet we now know it's exactly right. It was in the late 1920s that Hubble and other astronomers came along and measured the redshifts of galaxies. That basically shows us how fast galaxies are moving away from us. And they found that basically all galaxies, or just about all of them, are moving away from us and from each other. It's as if the entire universe is being stretched out like a curtain. Well, how about that? That's exactly what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that thousands of years before the secular experts of the day supposedly discovered it. Isn't that interesting? It's almost as if the Hebrews had some sort of divine insight on the issue. And of course they did. By the way, some people have asked if this expansion of the universe proves a big bang. Well, hardly. I mean, just because the universe is expanding doesn't mean it exploded into existence 13.8 billion years ago. Perhaps some of you listening to this are expanding a bit. That doesn't mean you popped into existence 13.8 billion years ago. It just means you're bigger than you used to be. And so it is with the universe. Apparently, God created the universe with some size, and he stretched it out a bit since then. That doesn't mean the universe ever had zero size. Nor can the expansion be said to be a successful prediction of the Big Bang because the expansion was discovered first. The expansion of the universe was discovered in the late 1920s, but the Big Bang, the idea of the universe coming from a point, was invented in 1931 as a naturalistic explanation for that expansion. But it's not a prediction of the Big Bang, not at all. It is, however, a prediction of scripture. Let's take a short break. Stay with us. What happened to the dinosaurs? Are monkeys and people the same? Why do we live on Earth and not some other planet? Kids have some great questions about God's creation, but do you have the answers for them? At the Institute for Creation Research, our scientists and Bible scholars have produced The Guide to Creation Basics. This book contains full-colored images and fascinating commentary from experts in biology, geology, astronomy, and biblical study. Guide to Creation Basics can help teach your children how the animals could fit on Noah's Ark, how dinosaurs and humans could live at the same time, and how God's power and wisdom can be seen in something as small as a single cell. Find basic answers to your child's biggest creation questions. Order your copy of Guide to Creation Basics from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting www.icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation. Here's Dr. Lyle. Well, we've been discussing uh, when the Bible touches on astronomy, the fact that it's always right and history has established that. History has shown that even when the secular experts of the day disagreed, the Bible's always been right. We've seen that the Bible addresses issues like the circular nature of the earth 
or the fact that the Earth floats in space, or the fact that the universe is expanding. Another one that's very interesting is this principle of conservation of energy and mass. This is a physics principle that the amount of stuff in the universe, energy or mass, is basically constant. You can't create or destroy energy. You can't create or destroy mass. Einstein tells us that mass and energy are basically the same thing measured in two different ways. But we would expect that energy and mass would be conserved on the basis of Scripture, because the Bible tells us that God made everything. In fact, all things were made by him, according to John chapter 1, verse 3, which means nothing's going to just pop into existence without God making it. And we would not expect that God would be creating new things today because the Bible says in Genesis 2, verse 2, that on the seventh day, God ended his work of creation. And so that means nothing's going to pop into existence. It would either be something God did not create, or it would mean God is still creating, both of which are contrary to Scripture. Furthermore, we would not expect things to simply cease to exist because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 1.3 that God upholds all things by the word of his power. He maintains that which he has created. In Colossians 1.17, in him or by him, all things consist or hold together. These two principles together, that no new material can come into existence and that material continues to exist, are the conservation of energy and mass. And it's tough to pin down exactly when these principles were discovered by uh, scientists, scientifically, but usually James Joule is credited with the discovery of conservation of energy. But that's 1800s. So the Bible is discussing this issue thousands of years before the scientists caught up with that. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, these verses don't preclude a creative miracle. Obviously, God can, can do things for an extraordinary purpose. But the general trend is that God isn't creating new things today. He's maintaining that which he created back in the beginning, and that is the conservation of energy and mass. The Bible teaches that the number of stars in the heavens are humanly uncountable. In fact, it often uses the number of stars as a figure of speech for something that is, from a human perspective, totally uncountable. In Genesis 22:17, God describes Abraham's descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And later, he indicates the sand of the seashore cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, that's a great description of the stars in our universe, but it might have been hard to believe when it was first written. When you look at the number of stars in the night sky, it's certainly a lot, but is it really uncountable? Astronomers estimate that human beings can see somewhere between 3,000 and perhaps 10,000 stars in the night sky. Now, that's a large number, but it's countable. So, did the Bible get it wrong? Well, not at all. When the telescope was invented, and we began looking deeper and deeper into the universe, we found that there are a lot more stars than those that can be seen with the unaided eye. In fact, astronomers estimate there's at least 100 billion stars in our own galaxy and at least 100 billion galaxies in the visible universe. Now, there's no way you could count to that number. You can't even count to 100 billion in your own lifetime. What a wonderful description, a wonderful metaphor for an uncountable number. It's even more interesting that God, of course, does count the number of stars and, in fact, has a name for every one of them. How awesome is God to have a name for each one of the hundred billion stars in the hundred billion galaxies? The Bible got it exactly right and before the secular science of the day. So, have we learned the lesson of history? Have we learned that in the past, when the experts of the day have disagreed with the Bible, the Bible has always turned out to be right? Sadly, many people haven't learned that lesson, and today you'll find some people saying, well, we know the Bible can't be true because of this latest astronomical discovery. Well, just wait, because the Bible has always been vindicated, every single time. 
What's even more interesting is that the Bible is what actually makes astronomy, and all sciences, possible. You see, science is predicated on the idea that the universe obeys laws, that it, that it acts in a predictable fashion, not only here, but in the distant universe as well. It's almost as if the universe was made to be understandable, almost as if the universe was created by an intelligent mind. So you see, that's exactly what we expect when we read scripture. Of course, the universe obeys laws because there's a lawgiver. Astronomy really is founded in creation science. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.